From the Medical Republic, I'm Francine Crimmins. This is The Tea Room. One in two older Australians would have experienced some form of cancer by the time they're 85. But research shows that they have less access than younger people to acute treatments, information on side effects and opportunities to take part in clinical trials. Today, Professor Mai Krishnasamy on the new resources which have been developed to empower older Australians living with cancer to discuss their choices around treatment and care. Professor Krishnasamy, thank you for talking to us. Thank you, Francine. It's a real pleasure to be with you. Mai Krishnasamy is the Director of the Academic Nursing Unit at the Peter McCallum Cancer Centre. How about we start by you explaining the problem that you and your team saw in older Australians making informed decisions when living with cancer? Yeah, thanks, Francine. I think that's a really good place to start. I think um, for me as an experienced cancer nurse and talking to multidisciplinary colleagues, one of the things that we were very aware of in the healthcare system is that when older adults come in and have a diagnosis of cancer, the system actually doesn't really respond to them as though they were any different to anybody else coming in with a cancer diagnosis. Um, Of course, that's a generalisation. There are some clinicians who are particularly skilled and interested in uh, aspects of geriatric oncology. But on the whole, the system tends not to be aware of the considerable challenges uh, faced by older adults. So, for example, as you said in your introduction, we know that... um, Older people with cancer tend to have uh, less access to information about the range of treatments that may be open to them. We know that although a small, it's a significant percentage, about 10% of older adults. um, And I just want to contextualise that, Francine, 10% doesn't sound a lot. But when you think that 65% of all new cancer diagnoses in Australia are in people over the age of 66 years, that 10% becomes a larger number of people. But we know that that 10% of people actually have no treatment at all and that that decision is based purely on their age rather than their capacity to tolerate treatment or indeed, very importantly, a personal choice that they may have for whether they want to think about quantity of life or quality of life. And so there's there was that perspective that really... Um, drove us to think about the work that we'll come and and talk a bit more about, I'm sure, but also that international evidence and Australian evidence that shows that um, older adults have very limited access to clinical trials. About maximum of 25% of older adults, that is people over 65, have access to clinical trials. And that's largely because clinical trial eligibility excludes them, but also, again, because there is some unconscious or perhaps conscious bias around whether people who are older can cope with the demands of a clinical trial. And yet we know, certainly from some of the large international immunotherapy trials, for example, that when older adults who are chronologically older but are physiologically fitter and and are not frail are entered into those clinical trials, they do as well and manage the demands of a trial um, as uh, equal younger counterparts. So those were the kinds of things, I think, Francine, that really drove us um, into looking at the study and hearing from older people too that they felt they really weren't involved to the extent that they wanted to be in treatment decision-making. And so that led you and your team to developing these resources. Do you mind explaining what the evidence base behind them are and whether you've modelled them off anything in particular? 
Yes, indeed. So what we did, we were fortunate enough to have funding from the federal government to carry out a co-design study. And what we did was we worked with um, older adults, both patients, uh, people with experience of cancer themselves and their carers, and also multidisciplinary healthcare professionals. We had a lot of focus groups, interviews and workshops really to understand what are the challenges from the system perspective and the clinician's perspective, but obviously very, very importantly, from the patients and the carers themselves. And so from that qualitative data, we were then able to work with people and say, well, okay, what should we put in place to try and address some of those barriers that we've heard around, you know, knowing what treatments are available, knowing access about clinical trials, really understanding what your healthcare professional team needs to know about you to help make um, decisions about your treatment that are based on your values, your aspirations, your preferences for your own life. And so we took all of that information and that data. We looked at international evidence that really um, reaffirmed what we were hearing in our data and then developed these online resources because what older adults were saying to us was actually one of the big issues is equity of access to information. And so they said there's no point in you developing something that may sit, for example, in a specialist centre like Piramac, but you have to have access to Piramac to have that information. We want you to do this and to build resources that empower older adults in a way that is accessible to people wherever they are. That's where um, the online resources and the concept of an online resource came into play. But of course, people can download anything that they want from the resource. And we will have hard copies as well for those people who aren't comfortable with using online resources. And so the older can resource, as we've called it, and we've called it that because it sits within the context of a larger online cancer supportive care portal called we can um, which is a one-stop shop portal for people to go and find out information about their cancer how they can complete um, the distress thermometer find out information and resources that they may need from reputable resources it's a one-stop shop so we've put older can into the we can resource and it covers aspects of information about people's diagnosis that they may need to know about their treatment and treatment options for them. And in the context of our conversation, Francine, very importantly, there's a section in there specifically about GPs. Um, And the older people we talked with were very clear about the importance of the GP as a member of their team, having the right GP um, and really having that person as an incredible advocate for uh, the kinds of treatments that they may want to go for. And there's a particular resource on the site called This Is Me, which is a form that helps people think about information about whether um, who they live with, their preferences for treatment, whether they've had falls recently, their cognitive status, all those things that really um, are details about a person's being that often older adults don't think about sharing with their healthcare team. But we drew on evidence that says if you actually, you know, present with a cancer diagnosis and have a recent history of falls, you're socially isolated, you have financial toxicity, your cognitive decline is poor, your functional capacity is poor. Those things are prognostic indicators. And so the this is me form is about, yes, absolutely about saying to your treating team, these are the things that are important to me and my values and my goals. But they also have information that is absolutely critical 
to those treatment decision making. Um, an older adult said, you know, often GPs are the people who can really help an older person be aware of and think about the information that they want to share. So the resources on there are all evidence informed, either from the people that we spoke with in our study or the international evidence that's been published about what older people need to be aware of to make sure that their treatment is tailored to their needs and preferences. So if you're a provider in this space, whether you know, you're the GP or you're part of the radiology team or the oncology team or the nursing care team, practically how do these resources work? When someone walks through the door, they might have accessed the OlderCan website, maybe their carer or a family member. How does it actually play out in, in a real consult? Yeah. So one of the things that we wanted to do was, yes, create something that, as you say, older people can turn to and take with them to their consult, but also to help incredibly busy time poor clinicians who often are faced with a brief consultation with somebody who may have a range of complex needs. And we know that um, around uh, 60% of older adults present with at least one comorbidity and around a quarter will present with around three comorbidities. And often for some people, cancer may be the least of their concerns in the context of really complex, challenging healthcare. So what we've done with the older can resources is given healthcare providers a one-stop shop place that they can go to to find resources, links that they can share with their clinicians, advice that they may be unaware of about where to get information about trials for older adults or how to help older adults think about their treatment decision-making or to prompt their thinking about the kinds of questions that perhaps they wouldn't normally think about in a busy consultation where the focus is on the disease, the treatment, making sure somebody's got their appointments booked, particularly if they have to come back and have an MRI, a PET scan, get their bloods done all in the same day. It is easy to stop and forget to say to somebody, what's important to you? What would you like us to be able to achieve for you at this point in time of your life through treatment? And Some people may want no treatment at all. And so how do you make sure that those people have rapid access to excellent palliative care, to support networks in the community, for example. So we're hoping that the older can resources are as valuable to the treating team who can sit perhaps in a couple of minutes with a patient and say, let's have a look at the resource, have a look at these things. If you still have questions about your care, your treatment, when you come back next time, we can revisit them. But it does mean for healthcare providers you know, we take that burden of expectation that they know about all the resources available um, and can think about having a complex conversation often in time-limited sort of um, consultations. So that's how we see it playing out, Francine, and um, really engaging with people in a conversation, um, but not feeling that people have to know all the answers and know where everything is and just can direct people to the resource. And are there differences in the resources between people that you know, uh, are living at home compared to those who are in residential aged care, for example? Yeah, so we haven't particularly sort of gone down the route of disaggregating the resources. What we have done really is to just give people pointers 
to the kinds of resources and information that they may need, irrespective of where they are. We do talk about things like telehealth, um, and we talk about the value of being able to have consultations remotely. But we also, for example, then don't assume that all older adults would be comfortable with or familiar with telehealth. And so we can link people to information and advice about, you know, what is telehealth? What can you expect from your consultation? But also about, you know, feeling enabled to say, I would much rather see somebody face-to-face than a telehealth consultation. And particularly, of course, for people whose preferred language is in English, those kinds of consultations can be particularly challenging. Um, Again, what we're hoping is, for example, you very importantly brought out the point of residential aged care. We know from the Royal Commission that um, accessing care for people, particularly with complex illnesses when they're in residential aged care, can be incredibly challenging because the system is so disjointed. And again, we refer to that in the older can resources and give people, and hopefully those people who are looking after them in residential aged care, the opportunity to know how to navigate some of the system and um, where to get advice and where to get information to help try and join some of those links and some of those um, often siloed sort of aspects of care for people in a way that makes it more manageable. And so just to finish off, GPs can access these resources. They can physically download some of them as well, I believe. They just have to visit www.oldercan.org. Yep, that's right. And and just go in, there's a particular section on for GPs and the This Is Me form that people can complete either on their own or complete with their GP. They can then send it to their medical oncologist, their specialist nurse, their radiation oncologist, their physiotherapist, whoever they, they're interacting with. Um, but also for the GPs, there's a whole range of other resources on there around helping people think about treatment decisions, access to clinical trials, emotional well-being. And very, very importantly, there's a section in Older Can for older carers who we know often face incredible challenges um, and there's not a huge amount of resource out there to support them. So they can also work with the carer of the older patient and help them find the kinds of resources and support that they want. But it also, because Older Can sits within We Can, it opens up to the GPs all the other resources around optimal care pathways, information and resources through to the Cancer Council of Victoria and through to the specialist support groups that are there for lymphoma, myeloma, lung cancer. They're all in there and hopefully also protecting the time and supporting GPs who we know have an incredible burden and volume of work. Professor Krishnasamy, thank you so much. Thank you, Francine.